here. Check it. Yeah. We in this together. A Spelmanite is a warrior fighting for justice. We can never be silent, so yeah, we causing a ruckus. Lift our voices up to bring injustice down. Speaking truth to power, we loving the sound. Undaunted by the fight, love is all we need. It's time to clear out the air so we all can breathe. Ain't no stopping us, we stick together. This bond is gonna last forever. Marching every day until we free. That's our buried treasure. We are Joke and Ananda, and you, you are, are now, now listening, listening to the Blue, Blue Record, Record Podcast. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to the Blue Record Season 2, Episode 4, the Black Excellence episode. Today, we are joined by the lovely director of the Blue Record Podcast, Ms. Shay. You want to introduce yourself to the people? I mean, we know you, we're familiar, but you you got some upgrades on you now. Some titles. No, <laughs> let's get into it. Yeah. Uh, hey, y'all. I am Shay. I am a graduating senior psychology major, education studies minor from Laurel, Mississippi. And I was a former archivist and a current director of the Blue Record Podcast. And I'm so excited to be here with my lovely host today. We are excited to be here with you, too. How is it going? Like, tell me. Let's do some mental health check-ins. Um, <laughs> I am trying my best. Um, You know, I'd like to be like, yeah, I'm good. I'm great. But in all honesty, and I think that, like, this is very much in tune with what we'll be talking about today. Um, I'm not, I'm not great. I'm not great right now. And I think that that's something that um i shouldn't shy away from saying or be afraid of um expressing it's having a rough day i'm sorry to hear that ananda but i'm happy that you're joining us today thank you i, I really appreciate your presence and you showing up for us today you know you doing the best with what you got and that is mm -hmm. just enough that's enough joe how are you hanging in there i am doing pretty good today you know what um i feel like Last semester really burnt me out. And after, after I had to do some goal setting, I, I put my scholar cap back on. I girl bossed it out. And yesterday I, I applied to my first full-time job. Yeah. So she may be employed. You never know. Let's keep um, fingers crossed, prayers up. Hopefully Joe will be a working gal next year. We love that. Send in positive energy your way, you know, the yes. abundance energy to get you through that. Because I understand, <laughs> you know, with grad applications and getting into this final season could be a bit daunting. I've, I feel like the past four years, I've just been like daunted by the fight. I don't understand the energy of being undaunted. I've never experienced that. I don't know her. But I think that the beauty of it is that I have a community that will help me get through it. Give me some insight and love through it all. So I'm really grateful mm -hmm. for that. Kind of, It kind of like dives into what we're talking about today. About, you know, this culture of having it all together. 
this culture of black excellence and black capitalism, you know. People have been saying, it's not a pandemic, it's a pandemic, but nah. Your homegirl is struggling. <laughs> and I know so many people are too. Yeah, yeah. It is It is very hard to be on your grind in the middle of a global pandemic. And yet, narratives like Black excellence continue to persist. So in today's episode, we're going to be unpacking those two terms, Black excellence and Black capitalism. I'm sure you may have heard them somewhere on the internet, on Twitter, or maybe even on your college campus. So let's get into it. Would anyone like to define Black excellence? I think that Black excellence really discusses this very um, robotic and non-human urge to overcome obstacles and overcome barriers and like this very historically and like currently racist society it's like oh th- even though we went through all the struggle we persevered despite the odds and it's like we never really analyze you know why these obstacles exist we need to demolish and abolish these obstacles that keep us from living our full lives and i feel like with black excellence and anything that um gives exclusivity people get left out people who deserve to have narratives. So that's what I think like excellence really encompasses. You know, this ideal of only certain people can get to the top and they are the representation of all of us. Absolutely. And the other topic of our conversation today is black capitalism, which goes hand in hand with black excellence. Black capitalism is basically this idea that we can make capitalism work for black people, right? So we celebrate our black billionaires, we celebrate, you know, the black bourgeois, everyone aspires to be the black bourgeois. When this whole concept of super rich black folks um, counters a lot of our history, and it expects black excellence from every single black person. You know, this whole idea of like Shay mentioned, it's a it's a pandemic and not a pandemic. Um, n- not everybody can be rich. That's not how that how that really works. Really, we should be focusing on collective justice, collective access to resources. But unfortunately, this whole idea of black capitalism has us all grinding, hustling, all this other stuff to burn us out, to tire us out, um, and to make us easier to control through capitalist means. Yeah, I just think about how, you know, racial capitalism kind of demonizes people who don't have access to materials and property and capital. And through the idea of even saying it's a pandemic kind of reinforces that. Like, oh, we have all this time, you know, outside of work. We have this quarantine. Like, you can find a way to get a hustle, get a side business, do this, this, that, and the third. It causes us to prioritize what we can produce how can we labor instead of like our well-being shay when i think about um, black capitalism and black excellence i think a lot about the track star olympian shakari richardson Mm -hmm. i think she's a great example of how you know we were as a black community we just loved shakari we wanted to see her win we wanted to see her go to the olympics We had so much pride and joy in seeing her like completely beat all these old times and make history. 
But the moment that she is faced with real life challenges, like her mother's death in the middle of a pandemic, and she smokes weed, not too many people were um, comforting her or understanding. It was lots of shame there. And in ways she failed our expectation. She didn't um, conform to the expectations of black excellence in ways that we wanted to. So yeah, I think about her. I definitely agree. I do. I think that again, black capitalism is kind of like white capitalism, white supremacy and blackface, the way that we grasp onto these ideas of respectability politics, the way we grasp onto these ideas of like what's um civil, what's human. And when people deviate from that, they are cast aside, they are, you know, stepped on and they're discarded because we've been conditioned to believe, oh, this is the path to success. You have to dress this way. You have to maneuver in this way. You have to look this, this certain way. You have to have, be proper, quote unquote, to be valued, to be deemed worthy, to be deemed human and respected. And I think that's why when Sha'Carri coped in that way, because you, again, weed has been demonized in such a racial way that although she uses this to cope with trauma, it's not palatable to the narrative that weed is this demon plant that's going to kill us all. Um, also, we see how contrasting it is to see how other athletes who have had trouble with drugs in the past who are white not be demonized in that same way. And so it's interesting to see how, even though we see these actions being taken against us, how we still believe that if we maintain the proper look and feel and not do all these sinful things that we will be deemed worthy and valued. Kind of like the push to wear suits and protest and go on marches because those forms of protest were seen as respectable. But it's like Martin Luther King got assassinated and he was wearing a suit. The civil rights era and the imagery of people being hosed down and bitten by dogs and suits kind of ruins that idea that this form of protest is more respectable than riots and looting. And that's what, you know, black excellence and black capitalism and tokenism kind of takes away from us. This idea of representation politics, like this is enough. Being seen is enough when that's not the case. Being valued and being liberated is the goal. Absolutely. And I think that this can help bring us into our next discussion about how our institutions reinforce black capitalism and black excellence. So within HBCUs, there's this idea that, you know, there are HBCUs that are the black Ivies, uh, Howard, Spellman, Morehouse, two of which are in the AUC. Clark's pretty great. Um, both of my parents went to Clark, shout out. But there's this idea that these are the schools that that make all the doctors and the lawyers and all that other stuff when the goal of hbcus is collective liberation um yes there is a, a black capitalistic current that goes with them but the goal is to ensure that all of us get something all of us get our education all of us can have a shot at access to resources um, and eventually make it to where all of us can have resources. It's not a shot at, right? And in our own schools, we internalize a lot of ideas of black excellence and black capitalism. I know even for me, 
I know all this stuff. I have the understanding of the definitions of the history and all that other stuff. But can you find me sometimes at 3 a.m. working on a project and not prioritizing my rest? Absolutely. It's very much ingrained into us as HBCU students, especially with this whole idea that we have to work twice as hard to get just as far. This whole thing causes us, even as students, to deprioritize our rest, our health, ourselves. The archivist found this excerpt from the Spellman Messenger that reads as this. It's a freshman's impression of Spellman. Entering the gates of Spelman College, a freshman would be impressed by the beautiful campus clothed in visible forms of nature, which seemed to welcome her to this great institution of learning. Amid the grass and flowers and under the calm shadow of the trees, she may sit and meditate or stroll along the walks in the hour of leisure. There are playgrounds where she may participate in games for amusement, rest from her studies, and also develop physically. Or at least a lot of the Spalmanites I know, I don't know about y'all, but where is rest and leisure for us? We have to actively work toward rest and leisure and go against these expectations and almost instilled instincts in us to just keep working, go ahead and finish it, be productive, all this other stuff. Yeah, lots of Spelmanites, um, you know, it can be very hard to rest while you're at Spelman, at the number one institution, the number one HBCU. Um, for me, I, before I got to Spelman, I remember like, it, my life in the way that I got to Spelman was about working twice as hard. Um, I feel like as a high school senior, I was trying to apply to a million different scholarships in order to get to this space. It was very disheartening to see that, since I'm from Detroit, um, lots of Detroit public schools are predominantly black. And I went to a high school that had over 3,000 students. And I was the only one in my um, class to go to Spelman. So entering Spelman to me, felt like I was leaving a lot of my community behind. In order to get into this black space, I had to be exceptional. I was in 10 clubs. I was working super hard on these scholarships, tried my hardest to get the best GPA ever and the SAT scores. And I love Spelman and its community, but those were some of my first like messages that I learned about the culture here. Um, and then as a student, my freshman year, because my financial like situation as Bellman has never been secure. I've been here, I've been able to study as Bellman because scholarships and miracles and blessings have really shaped my life and my student account. So my freshman year, I just remember being really stressed out about where will the next um, scholarship come from? Like, how will this balance get paid? And I remember just doing a lot of work, a lot of work, trying my hardest to get the best grade, so maybe Spelman will keep me. And I felt um, like that black excellence, like on overdrive. I definitely agree with that feeling of coming to Spelman and having to find security in your experience 
because when I got to Spelman, I took out so many loans because I believe in what Spelman could do for me and how it could be transformative. Um, and even though I spent all of my, you know, primary education and high school years aspiring to this idea of black excellence and overachieving, it still wasn't enough to that next level of what Spelman wanted out of his students. You know, Spelman gets the best of the best. This the salutatorians, the valedictorians, the McNair scholars, the Bonner scholars, the people who have it all together and then you're coming from this very small town and you're like, Oh, I worked my, my butt off to get this started on this ACT. I worked my butt off to get this three point five and that's still not enough. So I have to work sometimes as hard and keep going. And I think when you keep working and working and working and you don't have time to feel validated or assured that you belong outside of this ideal of sisterhood, like this traditional ideal of sisterhood, where do you go? Where do you go to lie down? And who supports you when that imposter syndrome hits? Because I think that's something that's really, a re this is a reality for so many of our students, but there hasn't been any like institutional change in, in how we operate. It's just, oh, let's do this program, this event about loving ourselves and taking care of our mental health. But institutionally, we have to excel and keep our GPA up and not do pass-fail and not get academic accommodations and not hear from our professors and not get love and care and, you know, assurance in that regard. With With those safeguards not in place, how do we fight back against imposter syndrome mm. of, yeah, I don't feel like I belong here and I don't have the support to counteract that. It's hard. And I, um, in the AUC atmosphere, I've been seeing things on Instagram about how like there was a Morehouse student who um, lost housing during the pandemic. Basically, I think something like Morehouse's financial aid was sending out all these emails, like if y'all don't pay so-and-so amount of money, y'all gotta go. That makes students feel so insecure and so like unstable. Sometimes whenever, when it comes to the financials, of attending Spelman and institutions in the AUC, I wonder like, where is the community? Will like my community work 10 times as hard to make sure that I stay here? Some people, for some people, that is a reality. Their community is there, but will our institution, will my institution, because I failed to pay this amount of funds will they think I'm disposable I sometimes with when we make those failures in this space I wonder and I wish that our institutions wanted to hold us wanted to really nurture us that type of stuff really really makes me upset because as black folks we know where we're coming from like a lot of us come from underserved communities a lot of us don't have the biggest houses in the world and all this other stuff and yet our schools are expecting so much 
so much out of us and i'm not saying that we should they should expect less or not expect you know the the best or whatever but what does the best mean when we take into account all that we've been through and all that we experience as a community and all that we experience in a global pandemic in a global pandemic so many times i have to be honest with myself and my friends about how we're performing right now i want to be present mentally and physically in every class but how can i be when this person has passed from covid this person who i was supposed to see passed from something else in a pandemic and yet i'm still expected to show up and be able to make you know perfect grades every single time something that i've been working trying to work with spellman on a little bit more is getting the professors to understand better where we're coming from and to focus their attention not only on how we how we perform but also on meeting us where we are i think that a lot of students are not where they would normally be um in their educational goals in their mental health goals and all that type of stuff if we weren't you know in a global pandemic i think this investment in normalcy that has completely derailed any progress that we've made in the pandemic is also the driving force for why professors aren't as flexible as they should be to students, why professors are not as graceful. Because, you know, I, I always see adults as like big kids. They're navigating a new terrain just like us, but they have like more superiority and more power and authority over us. So it's hard. It's like I am extending so much grace to you because I know that you're probably going through things too. And because we've been conditioned to, you know, overcome these barriers and to push through and just keep um, keep going, you know, pray it away that um, professor aren't, professors aren't being honest with themselves about how they need grace and how they can actually maneuver during this pandemic. Because what I've realized is how unpredictable an uncertain life is throughout this pandemic because things have happened that I have never imagined would happen. And I think a lot of people are going through that realization too. And so when that crisis, that mental crisis goes through, when people have their quarter life, midlife crises, what do they do? They try to grasp on, grasp onto something they can control, something that they can get a handle on. And for a lot of people, going back in person, going back to work, getting back into that same routine is them getting back to that normalcy, getting back in control because we haven't been able to control much. And so I understand that point, that that point of view where um, professors are like chickens with their head cut off. They don't know really how to maneuver in this terrain, but I wish that we could have honest and transparent conversations amongst administrations, professors, and students about how this pandemic is affecting us. Like, you know, students have, we've had events, Difficult Allies and the Blue Record have had events about, you know, denouncing normalcy and um, how this pandemic has affected us, but we really haven't sat with professors and talked about this candidly in a way that is, you know, human. So I hope that with this conversation that we can start that that we can start to talk about how suffocating it is to have to constantly overperform and how we constantly have to put our big girl panties on and push through 
when it's actually deteriorating us. This pandemic has made so many people disposable and how going back to school, how students, children, children and us as college students are being forced to go back in person against the better judgment of everybody who knows that this pandemic is getting worse. So when we are disposable because we have to rise to the occasion and push through what happens from there? Who Who is disposed when we prioritize pushing through and excelling or the image, the performance of excelling over, you know, our well-being? And that just goes into how certain, like, again, certain people, certain majors, certain um, careers are seen as disposable. Because, again, when the pandemic started, you know, it was we love our essential workers, we love our healthcare workers. And it was like this big investment in using television and music to escape from the pandemic and the anxieties of that. So, you know, we saw people binging TV shows. We've seen people investing in straight to Disney Plus movies. We were getting into this collective, you know, arts renaissance of like being invested in what people produced in that way. And now it's being seen like, oh, these are low skill workers or, you know, the arts really don't matter as much. Let's get, let's get back on the ball rolling on, you know, excelling in these, you know, tech fields. Let's go, let's go to grad school. Let's do the GRE. And it's like, you know, how do our institutions reinforce this? How do our institutions reinforce this idea of black capitalism and black excellence and disposing of people who do not align with that? Can I touch a little bit on this concept of like disposability? Because mm -hmm. this whole pandemic has shown that in a lot of ways, all of us are disposable. You get sick, you're done. You can't do your work, you're done. Um, and that can be physically done, as in like the hospital will not prioritize you depending on your ability or how sick or ill you are. But also there's a, there's a disposability in the psyche and your mental state, right? We're gonna work y'all as hard as we can, but then when you have a breakdown, oh, you know, we support you from afar. Or I, I know a lot of folks who have ended up, it's like hospitalized and all that other stuff because there's this whole expectation that we as black folks especially have to keep going, have to keep pushing. With Even within our colleges, we have to keep going and pushing. And some of us, do not come back from that or at least don't come back from that and being the same person that they are. And on top of all this, our schools bring us into contact with organizations and employment opportunities that engage this direct that engages kind of burnout directly, especially on black on black people, especially on black women, especially on just black non men in general. Right. So. I, rem I, I don't know if y'all remember this, but a little bit ago, they sent us an email about ICE recruiting people. Do y'all remember that? I remember you talking to me about it. <laughs> I was losing my mind. I was just like, are you serious? Are, and hey, it, are, you, are you serious? Like when we as black people <laughs> face so much policing and then even with that, it's like Haitians, which we know are a largely black group of people are facing some of the worst of ISIS treatment. And so we got people like JP Morgan who has admitted to their subsidiaries participating in slavery, I should add. 
JP Morgan, Goldman Sachs, FBI, and ICE recruiting from our schools and from our communities, knowing the damage that they have perpetuated. And then at the same time, people are like, oh, I just got to get a job. Oh, I just got, you know, this, that, and the third. We're, we're like, oh, I, I have to make money. I have to do this. I have to do that. It's scary. It's really getting scary. Like, these institutions have caused irreparable damage to the Black community and to Black mobility in general. Thank you for that language, Shay. And yet we still continue to go into them and our schools promote them as job opportunities when these spaces have and continue to perpetuate harm to us as a community. Ananda, I feel like grad school has amplified my anxiety and like some of my, I don't know if I want to call it disappointments, but I just wish Spelman at career fairs, at career planning events, they took the time to maybe curate a list of spaces and employment opportunities that were Black femme centered, safe spaces for us. Spelman, its whole mission is to give us a safe space during our um, college days to learn. And I don't like hearing my professors or advisors and administrators say like, you're going to, we're gonna push you out into the white world, into the real world. I'm like, this is, this is some sort of like harm. This is damage right here. I don't want to go back. Yeah, and like community, community in that way is so, is so important is so 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 important because even as we do enter in different predominantly white spaces how can we curate a community of black people who will support us of just folks in general who who will support us how can we find other people who understand where we're coming from and are willing to offer their emotional their emotional mental all that kind of support that's really good when it comes to my journey this year, I started, I started out um, 2021, senior year, incredibly burnt out. And I felt myself, as Shay says, impostering. Like I was trying my hardest to get through and my community, they helped me get through the blue record, helped me get through my first semester senior year. Um, with all that burnout, it became really clear to me that if I am struggling to get through this semester as Fallon, I don't know if I'll really be able to make it straight, straight after um, undergrad in a grad program for two to five years. I, I don't know. It didn't really feel like it was in my best interest. And I kept talking to people and I was like, this is a little weird that I'm expected to be able to do this, like just go straight into grad school and make this really big decision at 21. I was like, huh. I had to take a step back because I felt the expectation, but I was like, does it really align with where I'm at right now? Does the call to black excellence does it fit my own desires? And I took a step back and I was like, mm, not really. Going with the status quo can silence so much of yourself, but you're going to need to preserve and nurture 
those things your rest in order to continue living i definitely agree and even the status quo has been problematic for us to even engage in it makes me think about how we after we come from our hbcus it is a pride of us like a stamp of honor for us to go straight to ivy leagues and what do we lose because when we get to these ivy league spaces there's not a lot of us there i was applying to stanford and i was looking at their graduate programs and their scholarship program and i looked at the cohorts from the past years and i saw no hbcu grads none and what does this say when your talent is only from the ivy leagues if your investment is in diversity and inclusion why are you not looking to hbcus to you know target and to recruit and even certain initiatives that do go to hbcus to target and recruit we see now how the recruitment process and the application and interview processes are heavily biased to giving us the most difficult questions in the most difficult time and to you know see if we are worthy of being a part of whatever organization or school that we choose to apply to and and even when some people you know get to the final level and they get in you know how hard it is how the workplace culture how the environments are not conducive to their growth and in humanity as black people and it makes me think about how we've been so so invested in symbolism and representation politics that it keeps us from understanding how our well-being is being threatened because we always say oh the first black president the first black astronaut and it's like we're not really expounding upon the struggles or the sacrifices that they made to be the first or to be in those spaces and because we because of racism you know white supremacy how we have evaluated and given value to these spaces without any analysis of what they do and what they perpetuate an example that really dives into that is how our great ancestor Maya Angelou was you know was honored by being minted onto the quarter and yet the quarter still has a slave owner on the front George Washington and this is happening during a pandemic where black people are losing their jobs their homes and their lives people are dying that they never died before but we're supposed to have a, a glimmer of hope because one of our community leaders is going to be on capital exactly the capital that made capitalism is black folks say what you're pointing out is neoliberalism neoliberalism is the cultural project of capitalism um, neoliberalism oftentimes misinterprets progress as inclusion as participation in something and it erases racism classism gender and it has people move throughout the world uh, in a way where as long as you work hard you can fulfill your destiny you need to improve yourself and you'll be able to make the money neoliberalism makes me look very closely at some of the spaces that we hold up um, that we valorize and I will ask myself, do I actually really want to be here? Like me as a black person, me as a black femme, 
do I want to be in a space that's historically racist and has no real want or mission to be anti-racist? I may be the first, but do I, how much harm, at what cost? At what cost? That's something in particular that I have been thinking a lot about. Like, well, first, um, when I said the capital that made capitalism, I'm referencing a piece by Julia Ott called the capital that made capitalism that explains you know slavery and capitalism and how black folks operated as capital in terms of being the first did did we ever ask if our firsts were okay are we checking in on our black firsts and do they think that them being the first is worth is was worth all of this like how much are we willing to sacrifice of ourselves to be the first yeah, and of course, we're not discouraging anyone for going for it. We want y'all to inspire, please, please. We're also encouraging you to think critically. You have to also value yourself because some of these spaces and systems do not value you. That really segues into an important question in our um, next section. Who are we when we do not attribute our worth to what and how we can produce labor. It's always this struggle of sustaining and participating in radical self-care while living in an anti-black capitalistic society. It's always this quote that really sits for me that, you know, life will pass you by, you know, life goes on. But it's like, I really want to take the time. Like we want and we deserve rest. Yet we punish ourselves and are punished for not being productive and accomplished. I love this question, Shay, and I'm probably going to journal about this. When I'm not working, especially this winter break, I I have truly felt ease. Sometimes I feel so cheesy saying that, but I feel I feel at peace and I wasn't thinking about how productive will I be. I just accepted that I need rest. This is necessary for the process. I have a very hard time with this question because like I said earlier, I know all of this. I know how black capitalism is terrible. I know how black excellence is destroying us. I know that all of these things can have a really, really bad effect on all of our health, mental, phys mental and physical health. Um, especially if you're neurodivergent, all this stuff can really burn you out and bring you down. And yet, I still have to convince myself that it's okay for me to rest. So I honestly, and this is very real, I don't know. I don't know who I am outside of black excellence. I have some ideas, like I know I'm, I know I'm really sweet. Um, I know I'm a kind, loving, caring person. I know that I like to prioritize my friends in my life. I know that I love my community, but I think that understanding myself outside of my productivity, outside of my quote, black excellence quote, all of who I am outside of these things, I feel like I'm still discovering every time I decide to take a nap, every time I decide to go chill with my friends instead of sitting in front of the computer, trying to find answers to an impossible question because I'm a researcher, y'all. I know, mm. um, <laughs> all that. Ananda, what's helped me is to also do like a self-examination. 
sometimes I have to sit back and be like, mm, when was the last time you talked to someone, though? Mm-hmm. When was the last time you did something for you? I recently found out that I really want to learn how to do a cartwheel. So I'm going to learn how to do a cartwheel to um, make my inner child very, very happy. I also learned over break that I love dreaming. Sometimes when I'm alone and I'm investing in myself, I, I just remember like, oh, but this is also my life at the end of the day. And I can do things that make me happy. I can learn things. I can pause. I can learn how to enjoy my life. Yeah, I think that's so beautiful and Ananda, the process of not knowing, I think that's something that's so common and I'm thankful that you spoke to that because I am in the middle of knowing who I am when I don't do anything. Everything is a choice and I want to choose myself. I want to choose being the best I can with what I got. I got. I want to choose um not punishing myself when my best isn't the same every day and I think that's something that we have to break free from as we live in a capitalistic society like not being like oh you should get up you should do this you should do that who says that who's who's telling me this why should I do this and what for is it for my nourishment and if it's not then it's not worth you know stressing and losing hair about and that's something that I had to grow to learn especially during the pandemic when I was like grieving actively and still trying to push out all A's because again let's overcome these obstacles let's push through and it's always people telling you you're so strong you're so hardworking." when I truly don't think any of those qualities are honorable anymore that's deep that's very yeah. very deep we have one more question how can we be more socially conscious of perpetuating this labor culture i think with the blue record i think something that i've tried to incorporate in you know directing is to like instill grace and so me being more socially conscious is just giving grace always being able to pivot in a way that is sound and also, you know, of quality. We we do great work and I never, you know, second guess that. So it's also about trust. And I think with the Blue Record, I'm trusting of all of my team members and the quality of work that they do. So I just want to make sure that they are comfortable, that they are safe, that they are at peace or they're, stri- they're getting to that level of peace that they want. Um, that's just what I'm doing with the Blue Record, but I also want to do community service and just um, giving people the resources, the materials necessary to live, you know, because there's not a big investment in giving resources to communities to survive in a pandemic and to live. I think most of it is us like scrambling to make do. And I think that's kind of like, you know, illustrating the black community, how we push through and we make do and we're innovative. We find a way out of no way, you know, shout out to CAU, find a way or make one. Um, But I want 
us to start living and not just surviving. I think that that community aspect is really, really big and important because one of the ways that I try to be more socially conscious of this uh, labor-based culture is by creating connections within my community of care, right? Prioritizing care between me and my friends um, because we're not all going to be able to give 100% and that's okay. Yeah, I'm just working on creating these connections that prioritize how we can care for each other and and therefore encourage rest and encourage just giving what we can, not all that we have. That's a really good point, Ananda. I want to explore with myself doing some of the things that I'm most terrified of. And I think this labor-based culture, it encourages us to back away from the things that we are not good at. I also want to journal more about the person that I'm becoming. Um, I want to learn who I am to me. I definitely agree. I think that is so important, Joe. So thank you for that. In closing, just, just whatever this is, you know, black capitalism is very ghetto. And that's, that's it. That's all. Absolutely. Black capitalism sucks. Uh, I hate it here. Um, to quote Jaden Smith in the wonderful film Karate Kid. But also I'd like to shout out this organization slash social media um, personality person, I don't know, called the Nat Ministry. Um, if you follow them on Instagram and Twitter, they talk a whole lot about what it means to prioritize napping, napping as a spiritual practice, resting as a spiritual practice. It's helped me to figure out, you know, prioritizing myself in different ways. I also want to close out emphasizing that it's okay to be caught in between, right? You know that all this stuff, like you've listened to this podcast, you're super smart now, you know what this stuff means. But give yourself grace also as you're trying to figure out, like, you know, how to deprogram yourself and sit down. Sit your happy self down, you know? Amen to that. So, y'all, now we're going to wrap it up and close it out. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode of The Blue Record, the Black Excellence episode. You know where to find us on all of your favorite streaming platforms. Feel free to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts and check out our blog and follow us on Instagram at The Blue Record. Additional shameless, shameless plug. Please look out for events from Difficult Dialogues. Me, Shay, and Stephanie, who are on The Blue Record team, are also working to curate events for difficult dialogues where we can have important and difficult, obviously, conversations about the things that are happening in the world presently. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you for listening.